Chapter Three of Kate Bonnet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Kate Bonnet by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter Three: The Two Clocks. It was already beginning to grow dark. She sat and she sat, she waited and she waited, and at last she wept, but very quietly. Her father did not come, Ben Greenway was not there, and even that charter boy had gone. A man came after her, a mild-faced elderly man, with further offers of refreshment and an invitation to go below out of the night air, but she would have nothing and as she sadly waited and gently wept, it began to grow truly dark. Presently, as she sat, one arm leaning on the rail, she heard a voice close to her ear, and she gave a great start. "'It's only Dickory,' whispered the voice. Then she put her head near him, and was glad enough to have put her arms around his neck. "'I have heard a great deal more,' whispered Dickory. "'These men are dreadful.' They do not know what keeps your father, although they have suspicions which I could not make out. But if he does not come on board by ten o'clock, they will sail without him, and without his cash-box. "'And what of me?' she almost cried. "'What of me?' "'They will take you with them,' said he. "'That's the only thing for them to do. But don't be frightened. Don't tremble. You must leave this vessel.' "'But how?' she said. "'Oh, I will attend to that,' he answered, "'if you will listen to me and do everything I tell you. We can't go until it is dark, but while it is light enough for you to see things, I will show you what you must do. Now, look down over the side of the vessel.' She leaned over and looked down. He was apparently clinging to the side, with his head barely reaching the top of the rail. "'Do you see this bit of ledge I am standing on?' he asked. "'Could you get out and stand on this, holding to this piece of rope as I do?' "'Yes,' said she, "'I could do that.' "'Then, still holding to the rope, could you lower yourself down from the ledge and hang to it with your hands?' "'And drop into your boat,' said she. "'Yes, I could do that.' "'No,' said he, not drop into my boat. It would kill you if you fell into the boat. You must drop into the water. She shuddered and felt like screaming. But it will be easy to drop into the water. You can't hurt yourself, and I shall be there. My boat will be anchored close by, and we can easily reach it. Drop into the water, said poor Kate. But I will be there, you know, said Dickory. She looked down upon the ledge, and then she looked below it to the water, which was idly flapping against the side of the vessel. "'Is it the only way?' said she. "'It is the only way,' he answered, speaking very earnestly. "'You must not wait for your father. From what I hear, I fear he has been detained against his will. By nine o'clock it will be dark enough.' "'And what must I do?' she said, feeling cold as she spoke. 
"'Listen to every word,' he answered. "'This is what you must do. "'You know the sound of the bell in the tower of the new church?' "'Oh, yes,' said she. "'I hear it often.' "'And you will not confound it with the bell in the old church?' "'Oh, no,' said she. "'It is very different, and generally they strike far apart.' "'Yes,' said he. "'The old one strikes first. And when you hear it, it will be quite dark, and you can slip over the rail and stand on this ledge, as I am doing. Then keep fast hold of this rope, and you can slip farther down and sit on the ledge and wait until the clock of the new church begins to strike nine. Then you must get off the ledge and hang by your two hands. When you hear the last stroke of nine, you must let go and drop. I shall be there. But if you shouldn't be there, Dickory, couldn't you whistle? Couldn't you call gently? No, said Dickory. If I did that, their sharp ears would hear, and lanterns would be flashed on us, and perhaps things would be cast down upon us. That would be the quickest way of getting rid of you. But Dickory, she said, after a moment's silence, "'It is terrible about my father and Ben Greenway. "'Why don't they come back? "'What's the matter with them?' "'He hesitated a little before answering. "'From what I heard, I think there is some trouble on shore, "'and that's the reason why your father has not come for you "'as soon as he expected. "'But he thinks you safe with Ben Greenway. "'Now what we have to do is get away from this vessel.' And then, if she sails and leaves your father and Ben Greenway, it will be a good thing. These fellows are rascals, and no honest person should have to do with them. But now I must get out of sight, or somebody will come and spoil everything. Big Sam did come aft, and told Kate he thought she would come to injury sitting out in the night air. But she would not listen to him, and only asked him what time of night it was. He told her that it was not far from nine, and that she would see her father very soon, and then he left her. It would have been a terrible thing if he'd come at nine, she said to herself. Then she sat very still, waiting for the sound of the old clock. Dickory Charter had not told Kate Bonnet all that he had heard when he was stealthily wandering about the ship. He had slipped down into the chains near a porthole on the other side of which Big Sam and the black-haired man were taking supper, and he heard a great deal of talk. Among other things, he heard a bit of conversation which, when expurgated of its oaths and unpleasant expressions, was like this. "'You're sure you can trust the men?' said Black Hair. "'Oh, yes,' replied the other. "'They're all right.' "'Then why don't you go now?' At any time officers may be rowing out here to search the vessel. And well they might, for what needs an old farmer with an empty vessel, a crew of seventy men, and ten guns? He is in trouble. You may wager your life on that, or he would be coming to see about his girl. And what will you do about her? Oh, she'll not be in the way, answered Big Sam with a laugh. If he doesn't take her off before I sail, that's his business. If I'm obliged to leave port without his cash-box, 
I will marry his daughter, become his son-in-law. I don't doubt we can find a parson among all the rascals on board. Then, perhaps, he will think it's his duty to send me drafts to the different ports I touch at. At this good joke, both of them laughed. But I don't want to go without his cash-box, continued Big Sam, and I will wait until high tide, which will be about ten o'clock. It would be unsafe to miss that, for I must not be here tomorrow morning. But the long-boat will be here soon. I told Roger to wait until half-past nine, and then to come aboard with old Bonnet, or without him, if he didn't show himself by that time. But after all, said the black-haired man, the main thing is, will the men stand by you? You needn't fear them, said the other, with an aggravated oath. I know every rascal of them. Now then, said Dickory Charter to himself as he slipped out of the chains, she goes overboard if I have to pitch her over. Nothing had he heard about Ben Greenway. He did not believe that the Scotchman had deserted his young mistress. Even had he been sent for to go on shore in haste, would he leave without speaking to her? More than that, he would most likely have taken her with him. But Dickory could not afford to give much thought to Ben Greenway. Although a good friend to both himself and his mother, he was not to be considered when the safety of Mistress Kate Bonnet was in question. The minutes moved slowly, very slowly indeed, as Kate sat, listening for the sound of the old clock, and at the same time listening for the sound of approaching footsteps. It was now so dark that she could not have seen anybody without a light, but she could hear as if she had possessed the ears of a cat. She had ceased to expect her father. She was sure he had been detained on shore. How, she knew not but she did know he was not coming. Presently the old clock struck. One, two. In a moment she was climbing over the rail. In the darkness she missed the heavy bit of rope which Dickory had showed her, but feeling about she clutched it and let herself down to the ledge below. Her nerves were quite firm now. It was necessary to be so very particular to follow Dickory's directions to the letter that her nerves were obliged to be firm. She slipped still farther down and sat sideways upon the narrow ledge, so narrow that if the vessel had rolled she could not have remained upon it. There she waited. Then there came, sharper and clearer out of the darkness in the direction of the town, the first stroke of nine o'clock from the tower of the new church. Before the second stroke had sounded, she was hanging by her two hands from the ledge. She hung at her full length. She put her feet together. She hoped that she would go down smoothly and make no splash. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine and she let her fingers slip from the ledge. Down she went, into the darkness and into the water, not knowing where one ended and the other began. Her eyes were closed, but they might as well have been open. There was nothing for her to see in all that blackness. Down she went, as if it were to the very bottom of black air, a 
and black water. And then, suddenly, she felt an arm around her. Dickory was there. She felt herself rising, and Dickory was rising, still with his arm around her. In a moment, her head was in the air, and she could breathe. Now she felt that he was swimming, with one arm and both legs. Instinctively she tried to help him, for she had learned to swim. They went on a dozen strokes or more, with much labour, until they touched something hard. "'My boat,' said Dickory, in the lowest of whispers, "'take hold of it.' Kate did so, and he moved from her. She knew that he was clambering into the boat, although she could not see or hear him. Soon he took hold of her under her arms, and he lifted her with the strength of a young lion, yet so slowly, so warily, that not a drop of water could be heard dripping from her garments. And when she was drawn up high enough to help herself, he pulled her in, still warily and slowly. Then he slipped to the bow and cast off the rope with which the canoe had been anchored. It was his only rope, but he could not risk the danger of pulling up the bit of rock to which the other end of it was fastened. Then, with a paddle, worked as silently as if it had been handled by an Indian, the canoe moved away, farther and farther into the darkness. "'Is all well with you?' said Dickory, thinking he might now safely murmur a few words. "'All well,' she murmured back except that this is the most uncomfortable boat I ever sat in. "'I expect you are on my orange basket,' he said. "'Perhaps you can move it a little.' Now he paddled more strongly, and then he stopped. "'Where shall I take you, Mistress Bonnet?' he asked, a little louder than he had dared to speak before. Kate heaved a sigh before she answered. She had been saying her prayers. "'I don't know, you brave Dickory,' she answered. "'But it seems to me that you can't see to take me anywhere. "'Everything is just as black as pitch, one way or another.' "'But I know the river,' he said. "'With light or without it. "'I have gone home on nights as black as this. "'Will you go to the town?' "'I would not know where to go there,' she answered, "'and in such a plight.' "'Then to your home,' said he. "'but that will be a long row, and you must be very cold.' "'She shuddered, but not with cold. "'If her father had been at home, it would have been all right. "'But her stepmother would be there, and that would not be all right. "'She would not know what to say to her. "'Oh, Dickory,' she said, "'I don't know where to go.' "'I know where you can go,' he said, beginning to paddle vigorously. "'I will take you to my mother.' She will take care of you tonight and give you dry clothes, and tomorrow you may go where you will. End of chapter three.